We're turning to the book of Daniel, chapter 3, once more. Uh, for those of you who've been here uh, recently, you know where we are. For those who uh, have not been here before, we are looking at the life of people who have been carried captive into Babylon. The world empire of the time of Daniel is Babylon, and Babylon is conquering the smaller uh, countries around the Fertile Crescent and on the Mediterranean coast. And one of their policies was to take captive the leaders in the different communities of each nation that they conquered. And they have taken the cream of the Jews into Babylon, including Daniel and his three friends. Now why is this important? The, it is important because the Jews were special. And they were special until the coming of Jesus Christ because they were the people to whom God had revealed himself, to their ancestor Abraham, and to Moses, and to the prophets, and the writings that God made known, that the knowledge that God made known to them was recorded, and we have it known as the Old Testament. It is a time in which the Jews are the people who have a, a knowledge of the true God, the creator God, the God who's been intervening in human history, the God who speaks to people, not a God of human imagination, but a God who's revealed his character, a God who's told the world what the world needs to know about him and about themselves. And the Jews were the people who had this knowledge at that time almost exclusively. And now they are overrun by the Babylonians and the cream of their society are captives in Babylon. And here in Babylon, the powerful ruler Nebuchadnezzar builds a tremendous statue. A statue that's like a tall, thin obelisk to be seen from miles around. It's taken huge uh, wealth and creativity to design it and create it. It's quite possibly a representation of himself. It's got a golden head, certainly. And uh, this Babylonian empire has already got magnificent hanging gardens, one of the seven wonders of the world. It's got musical entertainment. It's got all the advancement of a modern society of that generation. And now Nebuchadnezzar wants to add to it an image of himself. He's, he feels his power uh, as a great man in the world and he wants to create the cult of personality so people not only know who he is but they bow down to him as the greatest man in the universe. And we've seen the cult of personality throughout history, haven't we? You can remember some of the statues that were being pulled down when Saddam was overthrown in Iraq. You can remember the cult of personality that's been created by monsters like Stalin. You can see the cult of personality in Mao in China. And uh, this personality cult has often got a religious element. You can see it in South Korea where the people are being crushed for any form of faith other than entrusting the Kim dynasty in North Korea. And this is exactly what is going on uh, in Babylon 
where the ch three children are living. And then there is not only this tremendous statue, but a tyrannical sum summons. A herald is sent out to summon people from every province that Nebuchadnezzar rules. And they to come and appear at an inauguration ceremony in the plain of Dura. And they are going to have the best musicians from the world that Nebuchadnezzar has conquered. And there's going to be this tremendous orchestra that's going to strike an impressive effect upon the people who gathered. It's going to create a worshipping atmosphere. The people are going to be overawed by the music and the gathering and the statue. And it's designed to, to leave a deep impression upon them so they never forget this day when Nebuchadnezzar was honoured and people bowed down to him. Music has so often been used because music has a profound effect on our emotions. And it's quite possible to be moved by religious music in the name of God and yet not know the living God. Some wonderful music has been created. Handel's Messiah, another wonderful music. And there may be much in it that's, that's enjoyable and good, but it does not necessarily lead us to know the one true and living God who's created us. True worshippers, said, true worshippers, said the Lord Jesus, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They will worship God in the knowledge of who God is and what he's done and why they should worship. And Nebuchadnezzar adds a terrifying warning to any who are disobedient. And uh, no sooner has he done this and uh, the ceremony has taken place then there are some Chaldeans who snitch on the Jews. We are told about three of them, there may have been more, that did not conform. And they were very well aware of the threat of being burnt alive. And uh, these three young men must have really been challenged. It cannot have been an easy decision to stand out from the crowd, to defy such a powerful man to act in a way contrary to the wishes of the ruler of the country that had conquered their families. And yet these three young men do not obey. And they are noticed. And very often people who are true believers in God are noticed. Noticed in the way they talk and act and think and where they go and how they spend their free time how they live for others rather than for self. People who know the one true and living God are often noticed as being different as these three were at this big ceremony. And moreover than that, there were clearly some people who had it in for them and were going to make sure that they suffered for being different. These were men who'd made a stand before because they had not eaten food and wine offered to the gods of Babylon. 
And they are respecting a higher authority than Nebuchadnezzar. There is a one true and living God who's revealed what he requires people to do. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and our neighbours ourselves. There are commands as to how we are to worship the God who made us. And there are commands as to how we are to conduct ourselves with one another in the community. And they're summed up in what we know as the Ten Commandments, the first four regarding how we worship God and the second six regarding how we should live in community one with another. And these three young men well knew the command of God that said, you shall not make yourself make for yourself an idol in the form of anything or anybody in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down and worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. That was the command of God that they were obeying, even if they were disobeying Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because God the living God has created us and made us what we are and has given us so many blessings in our human lives is the one that is a jealous God, a God who is offended when we worship any other than him that we are debtors to and the only one that's worthy of thanksgiving and praise. Worshipping a man is foolish. It's even more foolish to worship an image. Isn't it uh, so true today that we often get people who are really put on a pedestal in the community and suddenly it's discovered there's some secret in their lives and they're brought crashing down and their popularity and their fame is lost forever. It's so foolish to worship human beings because none of them are perfect. But how much more foolish it is to make an idol this is how God's servant Isaiah mocked people who make idols. He puts it like this in his 44th chapter. The carpenter. He takes some wood and he shapes it in the form of a man. A man in all his glory that it may dwell in a shrine. He cuts down cedars. Cedars are man's fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself and kindles a fire and bakes bread. But he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, save me, you're my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see and their minds are closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. Shall I bow down to a block of wood? That's how Isaiah put it so powerfully. How stupid can you be to make an idol out of a piece of wood or out of a gold in a mould? And that's humanity's problem too often. We make people or things our God we give too much of our time and thought to them instead of thinking about the one living God who's made us and has been so good to us 
Instead of that, we are designing something that we can sort of control. The one true and living God is not a person we can control. He's in control of everything. And he's the one that is to be worshipped. And then we have the terrible sovereign. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned them and ordered them to be thrown into the blazing furnace. One of the greatest evils that the world has ever seen is a state-enforced religion. All throughout history, dictators and totalitarian regimes have forced all kinds of faith on the consciences of the people they rule. It goes back to the Roman Empire. You remember what the early Christians were told? The early Christians were told to say, Caesar is Lord. They said, no, he's our ruler, he's not our Lord. And for that they were taken to the amphitheatres to be put to death with wild animals or gladiators. Even the Roman Catholic Church enforced their faith on the countries where they had sway as they worked in hand with the rulers of their communities. Even in our country, people have been burnt at the stake for not following the Roman Catholic religion. And this is the dreadful state of affairs that we find in Islamic lands today where people are compelled to honour Islam or else they will become either second-class citizens or if they convert to another faith, their lives are in jeopardy. And here is a man, Nebuchadnezzar, who's doing it in his age. What's the difference between the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Bible and theirs. The Lord Jesus Christ calls us to voluntary obedience. The Lord Jesus Christ uses words to persuade us. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ not because we're compelled to by an iron fist, but because a sweet voice has persuaded us that this is the one and only way to know the true and living God and find peace and love in Him. In the goodness of God, we live in a country where we are free. Make sure we use our freedom to know the one true and living God and learn of His words of love, learn of His words that give life and give eternal life. Words that change hearts. Break the power of sin. Words that bring us into an experience of love and joy. And so here are these three children. They stood up to the ruler of the world. And they say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves in this matter. If we are thrown into the furnace... The God we serve is able to save us, and he will rescue us. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the image of gold 
you're set up. They're unapologetic. They're not rebellious. They're making a stand. They will accept him as a secular ruler, but they will not accept him as a god to be worshipped. And they're going to do whatever they believe to be right in the sight of the living God. They had a choice. Were they going to please the most powerful man on earth, or were they going to please the one true and living God? And as they reflected, they felt that the worst the man of the world could do to them was to destroy their bodies. But they, he would never destroy their soul. Their soul, their spirit, would go to be with the living God in heaven when their body has been burned. The Lord Jesus spelled this out in his gospel in Luke chapter 12. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and, of after, and after that can do no more. But I show you who you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. These children made a stand. They made a stand for the living God. All of us are going to have to die one day. All of us one day are going to have to face God. And at the end of time, there's going to be a day of judgment. And what matters is not how long our lives have been or how short our lives have been, but have we known and received forgiveness from the God who sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world? Have we got a hope that goes beyond the grave? And the body is destroyed. This is what the Gospel of the Lord Jesus is all about. And these three friends knew that. Uh, but also they knew that if God so chose... Because he was God, because he was the creator of the universe and the complexity of life in the world, they knew that he could reverse natural consequences. And he could actually save them if he so decided from the fire. They knew Nebuchadnezzar would change his mind, could change his mind. They knew that even if they went into the fire, God could bring them safe out of the fire. They had this amazing confidence in a God who could do all things because he's God what's the point of having a God that's limited by human beings limited by human imagination what's the point of any other religion that's not based on the living God who's made the world and made us and that's where they put their faith and apparently he got the fire burning already and they stoked it even hotter he was so mad. But then there's an amazing event. He thinks resistance is at an end. But he sees they're alive. They're in the furnace. They've not been consumed. They've gone in with all their clothes on. Can you notice how the way it's recorded? It, 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 there's a certainty that there's combustible material surrounding them when they go in. And Nebuchadnezzar learns, learns there is a God who's over all the weather, all the elements, a 
God who's over health and life, the God who's got angels, the God who looks after those who trust in him. That's the God that we're worshipping this morning, the living God revealed in Jesus Christ. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. He's come to Bethlehem to be the saviour of the world. He's come and performed miraculous signs to demonstrate his authenticity. He's risen from the dead and everyone who's tried to disprove the resurrection has failed. The great scholars of history can have no arguments to disprove that Jesus Christ rose and lived again. The history of Christian people in the world is evidence that Christ is alive because his spirit is in them and they live like him. This is the wonderful supernatural message that the gospel is. It's not a self-improvement message. It's a message that brings us to know and be friends of the living God. And there in Babylon was a Christophany. What is a, a, an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ before his later appearance at Bethany, Bethlehem. This is the message this morning. We've got a king who came very close to knowing the living God but didn't actually have a change of heart. And that's quite possible for people to know about the living God but not actually worship him themselves. We've got young men who face tremendous opposition like Christians do in communist lands and Islamic lands and yet they knew God was with them and he was with them. <coughs> and though they had to face the fire, God was with them in the fire. And when we face tests, as we stand for what's right and what's true, we can be absolutely confident that our God will have a way of escape for us and he will support us in and through the difficulties we have as we seek to show love to him. There's just one more thought. What do you think people remembered after that day on the plains of Dura? when there's a great image, when there's the huge crowd, when there's the impressive music, what do you think people most remembered? I suggest to you, the thing they most remembered was God intervened. And three men who went into a furnace came out alive again. God he overruled that to speak and say, I am real. I am here. I know all about you. And he's saying that to you. Whatever you have come in thinking this morning, he can intervene in your life. He can hear your prayer. He can forgive your sins. He can give you new hope. He can heal your heart and your body, if he so wishes. And he can give you a confident hope of heaven. That's what 
the plain of Dura says to us this morning. I pray that God will help us.